It's said that back in the 13th century, Emperor Frederick II of the Holy Roman Empire conducted an experiment. He wanted to know, of all the languages on earth, which one God wanted his people to speak. So he ordered that a certain number of babies be set aside from the moment of their birth. Their caregivers were instructed to never speak a word of any language in the hearing of the infants. He reasoned that if these children never heard a particular language, they would grow up to speak the natural language that God intended human beings to speak. You can imagine how difficult it must have been for those caregivers never to speak while holding or caring for those infants. But those were the emperor's orders. The results were completely unexpected. The babies didn't grow up to speak any language at all because they died, every one of them. Remember now, the babies were cared for in every way. They were fed, they were changed, they were held, but they weren't spoken to. Nobody communicated with them, and they died. Now, there's some debate about the historical details of that account, but there's no debate about the truth it points to. Communication is essential to life. If we don't talk to each other, we die. Human beings need personal interaction, the exchange of facts and feelings and ideas, as surely as we need food and water. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the communication we're giving and receiving these days isn't all that life-giving. Experts tell us that online hate speech has increased dramatically in recent years. Business consultants offer seminars on toxic communication in the workplace. A whole new vocabulary has sprung up to describe negative speech patterns, stonewalling, gaslighting, blame-shifting, cyberbullying. The absence of communication can be deadly, but the wrong kind of communication can be just as destructive. I'm sure there's not a person listening today who can't think of some hurtful thing someone said to you, something that still hurts and maybe haunts you to this day. And I'm sure there's not a person listening today who can't think of some hurtful thing you've said that you wish you could take back. So as we continue exploring the risks and rewards of a with-others life, today we'd like to see what the Bible has to say about speaking to one another. And this winter, we're exploring the powerful role that relationships play in our discipleship journeys. We can't follow Jesus or help others follow Jesus alone. We need one another. Now, so far in our series, we've considered the journey from loneliness to love and from apathy to empathy. Today, we'd like to explore the journey from tearing down to building up. Given the rise of, of negative communication patterns and habits, we want to learn and practice better ways of communicating with one another in the church, at home, in the community, the workplace, and online. Because if it's true that communication is essential to life, it's also essential to faith. So how do we do that? How do we speak to each other in ways that are life-giving and faith-strengthening? That's where we're headed today. Uh, we're going to look at a handful of one another teachings that have to do with how we speak to and with each other. 
And our main focus will be on one anothering in the church, but the practices we talk about will, will be relevant to all our relationships and interactions. We're going to turn to two letters of the New Testament written by the same person, the Apostle Paul, to two different churches, the church in Colossae and the church in Ephesus. And both churches seem to be facing some of the same relational challenges that we're experiencing. So, so Paul offers some pointed and practical teaching on how to talk to one another. So I pulled together a few selections from each of these two letters, and, and since we're talking about speaking to one another today, I thought it would make sense for us to actually use our voices as we read the Scripture. So whether you're watching at home or on one of our campuses, please read along out loud with me. Now, I've included the references here, but we won't read them. Let's read together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch all the references to verbal communication in those half dozen verses? Teach one another, admonish one another, singing with gratitude, word or deed, giving thanks, speaking the truth, speak to one another, sing and make music, always giving thanks. All of them are positive, constructive, and even beautiful forms of communication. They benefit people. They build people up. They grow people up, helping them become more like Christ. In other words, better disciples. But apparently, toxic communication was a problem all the way back in the first century because Paul warns against two destructive kinds of speech, deceitful scheming and unwholesome talk. Now, deceitful scheming sounds an awful lot like fake news or misinformation or conspiracy theories or fraudulent resumes or embellished profiles. When we first heard about fake news a handful of years ago, we laughed about it. We thought it was a joke. It sounded nonsensical, oxymoronic. A thing can't be fake and news at the same time. And yet here we are in 2023, and fake news is no joke. It's an industry. It's a strategy, a, a way to get hired or, or close a deal or, or build a brand or find a mate. A recent survey reveals that the vast majority of Americans, three quarters to be exact, 
are not confident in their ability to recognize fake news. 38% of Americans are pretty sure they've unknowingly shared fake news. And 65% of Americans admit to being confused by fake news. 2,000 years after Paul warned us about it, people are still being tossed about and blown here and there by every wind of deceitful scheming, maybe more than ever. Unwholesome talk sounds a lot like toxic communication. One website lists seven forms of toxic communication. Criticism, defensiveness, sarcasm, silent treatment, over-apologizing, innuendo, accusation. Now, that word translated unwholesome could also be translated rotten. The word picture behind it is, is of a piece of rotten fruit. A picture of brown, moldy, worm-eaten apple. When a piece of fruit goes rotten, it looks bad, it tastes bad, and, and it can even make you sick. The same is true of toxic communication. That which was meant to be helpful and beautiful and life-giving, words spoken to another person, becomes ugly and hurtful and destructive. It tears people down instead of building them up. It, it tears people apart instead of bringing them together. And so much of our communication is like that these days. Negative, hurtful, ugly, destructive. And the worse it is, the more clicks it gets. Online algorithms reward inflammatory speech. It's so bad, we're afraid to go online, afraid to watch the news, afraid to have a conversation about anything of substance for fear it will go rotten quickly. Well, in contrast, Paul calls for communication that builds people up, that brings them together, that forms us into our best selves. When he talks about building others up according to their needs, he uses the word edification. Uh, the word picture behind that is building a building, making it bigger and stronger, more useful, more beautiful. That's what our words can do for people, make them more and more like the people they were meant to be. Think about that. By the mere act of speaking, putting words together in a sentence, something we do a hundred times a day, we have the power to make someone a better person, a healthier, happier person, a more Christ-like person. Simple sentences like, I love you. God loves you. I'm proud of you. You're a great kid. You're a fine person. You have a real talent. And when we do that, when we speak to people like that, we become more like Christ too. So, so we know what bad speech looks like, deceitful scheming and unwholesome talk. But what does good speech look like? How do I know when I'm building a person up with my words? Now, as we walk through these uh, next ideas, I'd like you to be thinking 
about a challenging conversation you've had or expect to have with someone. Just keep it in your mind as we look through Paul's uh, three guidelines for a helpful speech. The first one is truth. Speaking the truth, Paul says. When we speak truth into people's lives, we build them up. We inform them. We educate them. We empower them. Truth about how the world works. Truth about what we're thinking or feeling. Truth about who they are or how they're doing. Truth is straight talk. It's the opposite of deceitful scheming. So before we speak, we ask ourselves, do my words correspond to reality? Am I confident that the thing I'm about to share really happened? Does what I'm about to say really reflect what's going on in my mind or my heart? Now, just because a thing is true doesn't mean we have to say it. I used to think you were a jerk. Oh, thanks a lot. Or, what happened to your hair? If it's not helpful or relevant, we don't need to say it. And that leads to our second guideline for our speech. Love. Speaking the truth in love, Paul specifies. What's our motive for saying this thing? Will the other person be better off for having heard it? Will it strengthen our relationship? Now, sometimes speaking the truth in love can mean saying a hard thing. I'm not satisfied with our relationship right now. Or, I'm concerned about how much you're drinking, or working, or going online. Or, you're not meeting the job expectations right now. Sometimes love demands that we say things like that. But before we say them, we ask ourselves, how can I say this hard thing in a kind way? What's the right time to bring this up? Probably not right before bed or on the way to church. What words should I use? A couple suggestions. Start with I statements. I think, I feel. And don't say things like you never or you always. Speaking the truth in love means choosing our moments and our words and our tone carefully. Now, if you'd like some more suggestions, uh, the marriage course that we're offering this winter has a whole session on communication. Well, the third guideline Paul offers is faith. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do or say it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we ask ourselves, will the words I'm about to say build a person's faith? Will it point them toward Christ? Will it speak to the spiritual needs and longings of their heart? Now, it doesn't mean everything we say has to be about faith or God or Jesus. That would be weird. 
It's okay to talk about sports or the weather or the stock market or, or how your day was. Uh, Patriot fans may not want to talk about football right now. But the truth is, most people have very little spiritual input into their lives. People can go through their whole day. They can go through a whole week without hearing or speaking or thinking about anything beyond this life and today's happenings. People are far more open to spiritual conversations than we give them credit for. A recent survey reveals that 51% of Americans are curious as to why some people are so devoted to their faith. And yet 60% of Americans say that their friends who claim to be Christians rarely talk about their faith. So it's okay to, to tell someone you'll be praying for them. It's okay to ask them about their religious background or to share some meaningful thing you heard at church on Sunday. It may be the most interesting thing they hear all day. The bottom line here, the thing Paul is telling us, is that we build each other up when we speak truth, love, and faith into each other's lives. But, but how exactly do we do that? I mean, chances are a lot of us feel intimidated or awkward or, or uncertain when it comes to speaking truth and love and faith. But Paul actually offers us three simple ways of doing that, especially when it comes to our relationships in the church. Three ways of speaking into each other's lives that build us up individually and collectively. And the first is worship. In both letters, he talks about speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Turns out that when, when we come together to worship on a Sunday and we sing, we're, we're not just singing to God. We're singing to each other. We're singing truth and love and faith into each other's lives, and it's powerful. Those words and tunes are healing and instructive and inspiring. I hope you know how carefully and thoughtfully our worship leaders plan our worship services. They work weeks ahead, sitting with pastors and the preacher for that particular day, trying to understand the journey we're going to be making that day, from loneliness to love, from apathy to empathy, they choose music with words and tunes that will speak to that journey at just the right moment in the service. And just so you know, I am perfectly fine with the possibility that the most helpful thing you hear on a Sunday might be a line from a song rather than something I say. A couple of Sundays ago, I was all done preaching and we were singing our final song a song I, I didn't know all that well. And there was a line in that song that caught me by surprise. It spoke a truth that I had somehow missed in my 20 hours of preparation that week and my 33 minutes of preaching. And I suddenly found myself with tears in my eyes, doing business with God right there in the front row. 
You, you are singing those words into my heart, speaking into my life. Now, you may not realize this if, if you're only able to worship online with us, but the congregational singing in our in-person services is getting louder and louder every week. It's like we're rediscovering our worship voices after the COVID years. <laughs> Remember that a couple of years ago? Singing quietly to ourselves in our living rooms or, or in a half-empty auditorium with a mask over our face? It's so good to be singing freely again. Last Sunday, it caught me by surprise. I turned around to the congregation and just took it all in. The music and the words were, were, were just flowing right into me. Well, the same thing can happen when, when you worship at home, too. When you focus on the worship, when you sing along with your voice or your heart, when you pay attention to the words, when you sit quietly through a prayer or reflective moment, you're creating space for, for your brothers and sisters on the screen to be speaking into your life. It's real. I have experienced it on the other end of the broadcast. That's why we need worship and why we need to worship together, online or in person. It's one of the ways we speak truth and love and faith into our lives. Well, a second way we speak to one another is through teaching. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, the word he uses for teaching here isn't just about imparting information, like a professor delivering a lecture. It's about passing along instruction in how to live, like a mentor with an apprentice. Uh, the imagery behind the word is, is, is of a hand being extended to someone as if to offer them something again and again and again until they accept it. So it suggests a relationship between student and teacher, between speaker and listener, a, a relationship of give and take. Now, it's not all that surprising to hear Paul talk about the importance of teaching. I mean, every religion recognizes the importance of instructing followers in the fundamentals of their faith. What's surprising about this command is the one another aspect. Most religious systems entrust teaching to the most learned, most mature individuals in the community, rabbis, imams, priests, gurus. But Paul makes it sound as if he expects all of us to be doing this, as if every believer is expected to teach other believers. And the reason he can say that is because the teaching he has in mind is simply the offering of God's word to one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another, he says. When we teach one another, it's not our own wisdom we're offering each other, our own ideas about who God is or how life works. It's not the world's wisdom, what we learned in school or from the latest management seminar we attended. It's God's wisdom that we offer to each other. And Paul expects this kind of teaching to be a regular feature of our relationships with each other. 
every time we, we gather around a Bible and share observations and ask questions and offer our thoughts, we're building each other up. And that kind of teaching happens all the time around here. It happens in kids' town when a caring adult or teenager sits in a circle with children and tells them a Bible story or does a color page or memorizes a verse of Scripture. It happens every time a middle or high school volunteer circles up with a group of students, asks them how their week went, and leads a discussion of the large group teaching that week. Happens every time a group of adults gather in a living room or a classroom to study the scriptures and speak into each other's lives in helpful and practical ways. For almost all of our 20-some years of grace, Karen and I have been part of some kind of group. And I can't tell you how many times the Lord has spoken wisdom or guidance or encouragement or challenge into my life as we've sat around a living room or a dining room table, Bibles in hand, just talking to each other. If you're not part of a group like that, you and we are missing an opportunity to speak into each other's lives. January is a great time to try one of our short-term groups or even to jump into an ongoing life group. We had someone join our group for the first time just last night. You can go to our group finder at grace.org slash groups or reach out to any one of your pastors. We speak truth, love, and faith into our lives when we teach one another. Well, a third way we can speak to one another is through testimony. Now, I know that's a churchy word, but I can't think of a better way to say it. I'm looking at how Paul closes out these two sections on speaking to one another. At the end of the Colossians passage, he writes, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says almost the same thing in Ephesians. And what he seems to be getting at is that we should be looking for every opportunity to talk about what God has done for us how real Christ is to us. A testimony is simply a story of God's work in your life. It could be as dramatic as how God saved you from making a train wreck of your life, or as simple as how God gave you strength for a tough day at work. So when you talk about your day at the dinner table, Is it common for you to mention God in your conversation? Do your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews, do do they know the story of how you came to faith? When God does something good in your life, do you give him thanks by sharing the story with someone else? The beautiful thing about a testimony is that No one can question it or argue with it or feel threatened by it. It's just a story, and it's your story. And when you share it with someone, it introduces truth or love or faith into that person's life in a very disarming way. Someone shared a quote with me recently that that captures the power of testimony. It's from a much-loved bishop in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church named Thomas Hoyt. Junior. 
And he's writing about the, the power of testimony in the African-American church experience. How stories of God's faithfulness shared by believers have kept their faith alive through centuries of hard times. And he writes, The practice of testimony is one that people sorely need, especially in a society where many voices sound, yet where public speech that is honest and empowering is rare. In the contemporary soundscape of deceitful scheming and unwholesome speech, of fake news and toxic communication, of gaslighting and blame shifting, how refreshing, how life-giving to speak or hear a simple story of God's goodness and faithfulness. As we look to the future of church and to the mission God has called us to, here at Grace, we've come to believe that, that sharing testimonies, simple stories of God's work in people's lives, can be one of our most winsome and effective ways of, of building up our faith and of engaging people who, who maybe are far from God and from church. It's been a, an intentional focus of our digital ministry producing video stories, not only for use in sermons and services, but, but to turn them loose through social media and online platforms. We want people to find them, and, and we'd love for you to share them. If you have a story of transformation or ministry impact that you'd be willing to share, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to your campus pastor, our pastor, Leah Knight-Breton. Well, as I mentioned, our, our small group happened to meet last night. As we came to the end of the evening, just about to wrap up, one of the men said, I have a story to share. Now, by his own admission, he's, he's newer to church and less familiar with the Bible than anyone in the group. As I think about it, it was the only time he spoke during the study. And he told a simple story about something that happened to him on the way home from work that, that, that literally had us gasping at the power and presence of God in his life. A story about being in the right place at the right time that allowed him to, to literally save a person's life. Now, it was a two-minute story, hastily offered at the last minute. And it was likely the most impactful thing anyone said that whole night. And I'm allowed to say that because I was the teacher that night. A few moments later, another man in the group offered to close in prayer. And as he came to the end of the prayer, he paused for a moment, <laughs> as if he was sensing something. And then he said, Lord, you're bringing the word faith to my mind. I speak faith into our lives tonight. I love when that happens. And it happens a lot when a group of people get together around a passage of Scripture and share their thoughts and stories with one another. We build each other up when we speak truth, love, and faith into each other's lives. Let's pray about that.
We thank you, Lord, for speaking into our lives today through the worship and, and the teaching, even through our conversations with each other. Forgive us, Lord, for hesitating sometimes to speak into each other's lives when we have the chance. Forgive us for speaking hastily or hurtfully without thinking. Help us, Lord, to speak freely and honestly of your good work in our lives and in the world. And may you make us more and more like Jesus as we do that. In his name we pray. Amen.